Welcome back to How AI Built This, the podcast dedicated to data storytelling. Uh, as always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Associates, so huge thank you to them for their support. Um, so today on the show, we have Kayleigh uh, Haynes, a Manchester-based, but very importantly, Scottish data scientist working for Residently, um, a startup in Manchester, trying to disrupt the renting market, which is a big claim, but we'll get to that. Uh, Kayleigh, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. An avid listener here, so you will know where to start. Uh, we are um, going to jump straight into education. So you probably have quite a like, data science educational background, right? Like everything kind of makes sense for you. Yeah, on paper it makes sense. Yeah. But actually to get there, it didn't quite make sense. I guess I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do um, when I was leaving school. Actually, up until I think... Just before my final year at school, I think my school thought I was going to go to art school and ah. do some sort of art. I used to go to Saturday schools at weekends to to do art at the Glasgow School of Art, and I used to get sent to like different courses. But somewhere between, I guess, my fifth year and my sixth year at school, so like in Scotland, I guess that's like the second last and last year at school, something just sort of clicked, and I was like. I'm, I'm not actually not that good at art. I don't know why this is going to be like in my plan. So I thought, what else can I do? And my mum at the time worked in a school and she got talking to one of the teachers and said, physics is a really good subject at the moment. You'll get a good career in physics. So mum kind of put that idea in my head of how about you go study physics, but you can keep art as a hobby. So I actually went to Harriet Watt um, to study physics. But after the first four weeks, decided I absolutely hated it. And phoned my parents, been like, I don't like physics, I can't do this. Luckily, they moved me on. So the Harriet Watt was great. And they moved me on to a maths and physics degree. So that was, I think I had like three modules in maths and one in physics. That was the second half of my first year. And in doing that, I had a really, really good stats lecturer who was just so enthusiastic about statistics and really opened my eye into doing statistics. I then thought, this is what I want to do. Um, so then in my second to fourth year at university, I then moved into a statistics degree. And that's where I sort of got into analytics and data from there. Nice. Um, that's such like an opposite story of my time at Heria Watt, where I can't remember the class. I'm sure it was like, it was something to do with like SPSS and like doing like that kind of research. And the person that I had teaching it was hands down the worst teacher I've ever had since primary one to this day. So much so that I decided not to reset the failed exam and just take on an extra module the next year because I couldn't <laughs> bear the thought of doing that guy's class ever again. I mean, <laughs> luckily, I was never going to be a budding data scientist. I do not have a like, numerical brain. No, maybe if you had Jenny Hansen in your first year, that would have just... Maybe. I mean, I... Numbers confuse me. I don't have that. I don't have that brain. But maybe. But yeah, no. I was. Um, I was the worst class ever. I still talk about it to some of the people. I still speak to from uni. It was terrible. Um, so yeah, no. That kind of sparked interest. And then, um, did you always kind of know near the end of it what that you wanted to stay on and do a master somewhere? No, I think in a lot of things in my life, I just don't really know what I want to do, and I just sort of roll with it and see what happens. I guess. So. And how I guess in Scotland you do four-year degrees as an undergrad as standard and towards the end of the second year so the summer between second and third year a lot of people go on to do internships and at the time I was trying to think about what sort of internship I'd want to do and when you go to the cures department at Heriot a lot of what they were suggesting was to go look at the big four and at the time I'd never heard of the big four before no idea what they're talking about so I'd gone to um sort of a lunchtime session on like what an internship at one of these big four actually meant. I remember someone had asked a question like, what, what do you do? And they were just like, oh, just the standard stuff that we do. And I was like, this doesn't actually make any sense. And I think from there, I sort of was like, I don't really want to go down the standard route of go get a graduate scheme where you've got to do sort of all the online testing before you can even speak to someone in an interview. And it just felt like it was sort of, just didn't feel very personalized experience at all like everyone was just getting pushed through these internships and grad schemes but it wasn't that appealing to me at all so I started to think about what other things I was interested in and at the time I was doing a biological and maths module which was really interesting because it was really like more of applied maths 
And from there, I was like, well, maybe there's something in this that I could do. And I got in contact with a company in Edinburgh who were doing biological and math stuff just to talk to them about like future plans and stuff. And they were sort of like, um, we'd only take people on if they've got a master's degree. So that sort of started to make me think, well, maybe I'm going to have to go do a master's if I want to go down more of this route. But I think like for me, I always have this sort of thought that things happen for a reason. And after a couple of weeks after I'd spoken to someone at this company, they then had sent me an email for the story internship, which is at Lancaster, the statistics and operational research um, doctorate training centre. They were running an eight week internship programme which gives you sort of an insight into doing statistics as like research and it sort of just story internship builds or like kind of gets you sort of thinking about doing a PhD um because what they try and do is um like get people into the internship program that then would go on and sign up for the PhD program so that really interested me so I applied to that got the position so that's summer 2011, I did my internship there. And then doing my internship in research statistics, that's when I then started to think, oh, so this is really interesting. This is something that I can see myself doing, which is then when I decided to sign up for the PhD. Nice. Yeah, so you went from in fifth and sixth year not really being sure if you were going to do art and then maybe physics to then signing up to do a PhD like a few years later. That's quite a big jump. How did you find doing a PhD, though? I've had very mixed reviews on the show, but like, did you, did you like it on the whole? On the whole, I really liked it, but I think I was very lucky in the fact that doing a PhD at Doctorate Training Centre is just, it was just a really great experience, especially at the Doctorate Training Centre in Lancaster. So not necessarily just doing the PhD, but there was so many opportunities that I could get involved in. Um, I was the third year of the PhD cohort that ran, there was about 10 students in every year. So at its maximum, there was about 40 to 50 PhD students just in basically one room. So that was really great because a lot of PhD courses, you might be only one or two PhD students sort of stuck in a back corner somewhere where no one really knows you exist, whereas it felt like a really great community of PhD students. And we got to do so much. We had so many opportunities given to us at that doctorate training centre. Story is partnered with, a lot of industrial partners so it's a little bit different to most PhDs where a lot of PhDs are very academic this from day one was getting you used to working with um, industrial partners so we had lots of contacts with different companies we would do lots of problem solving days where a company would come in and say this is a data problem almost like a hackathon so we used to like try and work out or try and like solve the data problems in a day so being part of that just sort of opened my eyes up to like the possibilities of doing statistics and doing data for lots of different companies um, using lots of different techniques. Nice. And um, that makes sense, actually. I didn't know like how that that's how it was set up. But what I was going to say to you is like even to this day, like people coming from Lancaster, like stats backgrounds are often like like very, very good. And it seems that's probably why, because they've got that focus on industry from the start rather than just being purely academic. Yeah, and also because there was the 40 offers all doing PhDs yeah. at the same time, it's very collaborative. We used to have seminars every Friday morning where a different PhD student would present their work. So you always knew what other people were doing. So you weren't just focused on... So I think the thing with PhDs is you become very, very specialised in a very, very small area of statistics. But being part of a group of PhDs still kept that breadth of knowledge because you were still able to listen to talks and understand what other people were doing and what other sort of like problems were out there that people were trying to solve. Yeah, even just get some ideas maybe. Like Whereas if you're on your own, like you kind of go down your rabbit hole and potentially never come out of it, depending on how it goes. Yeah, exactly. And you did some internships, like you said. So like you did something at Shell and like um, you said it was quite collaborative anyway. So do you think that, did that help you when you finished the PhD think like, right, I think I'm ready to go and like apply some of this to like a company rather than maybe being tempted to stay on and do any sort of like further education or further kind of academic work? Yeah, I think towards the end of my PhD, I sort of knew that academia wasn't going to be for me. I think although I found 
the research interest and for a few years I think I'm definitely more of an applied statistician so I would much rather take what I know or learn different techniques and apply it to different data sets as opposed to trying to come up with my own methods or trying to come up with something novel and something new. Um, I find academia is quite slow so I published a couple of papers while I was doing my PhD but the whole publishing process takes years from putting in your first draft to actually getting it submitted. It can take a very, very long time, whereas I'd much rather see results really quickly. And that's why industry suits me better, because you can be applying things, you can see how it's changing companies, you can see how it's been useful on a much faster cadence. Nice. Um, no, that makes sense. So it was kind of like, I don't know, it was maybe about four years ago, kind of like October 2016-ish time, you joined a startup, which will be a recurring theme in this conversation. So sporting data science. So obviously in the name, there's some clues. Um, but you were kind of, you think you were the only data scientist there, right? So kind of looking at different methods for various sporting applications. So what kind of thing were you doing there? Yeah, so I, it was a very, very small startup. There was just me and my boss in that startup. Um, <laughs> how I got into it, actually, so... Towards the end, well, I guess probably about three and a half years into my PhD, I needed some new data for a paper that I was publishing. And at the time, it was really, really difficult to get hold of any sort of real world data to actually put or like to actually use in papers. We all had the same data set. If you look up, like, I guess, papers that I was publishing a few years ago, and like, if you look at similar papers in the area where we're all using the same oil data set, the same wave data set, um, because there didn't seem to be as many resources. I think it's getting a bit better now for actually being able to find data sets online. So at the time, I was a very keen runner. So what I decided to do was hack into, or get a Fitbit and hack into the data to start recording my heart rate and comparing how uh, my heart rate was changing as I was doing runs because my PhD was in change point detection. So looking at times in a time series where some sort of changes happened. So I decided to hack in and start to use Fitbit data. And because I was sort of interested in sport and sort of using these heart rate monitors, there was um, one of the lecturers at Lancaster had got in contact, or one of his friends had been in contact to say, I'm looking for, or he'd seen the job advertised, looking for someone to do an internship at this sport and data science company and because he knew that I was sort of interested in this stuff he thought I would be quite like related to the sort of things I was interested in so I think about half a year before I finished my PhD I then took on this role sort of part-time part-time so I think I did it for like a day and a half to two days a week um working with sport and data science so is it then when I finished my PhD I then moved on to working with them full-time nice job itself I mainly looked at football. So I was mainly looking at being able to predict where um, football teams were going to rank in different leagues. And we looked at it from like, um, I don't know if you like say follow chess, but in chess there's this ELO ranking or ELO ranking, which basically can ranks different chess players when they play, if they're playing someone at a higher level than they are. And if they win, they might get more points or just depending okay. on the points go up and down depending on the strength of the other players. So yeah. we were trying to do something with that, but with football teams. But it becomes a lot more trickier in football because there's so many variables to take into account. You've got like different team structures. You've got you might have your A team playing one game, but you might have a B team playing another game. You've got home advantage. You've just you've got weather to take account of. Whereas in chess there's like a lot less of those variables because you're sort of one-to-one you might be inside um so that was the main thing I did at sport and data science we also did a little bit of cricket analysis um but I was just sort of doing more like exploratory work into that to see what would be possible and what was the like goal to so if it say it was a little bit easier and there was less uh variables like what was the goal of that company if you could predict where x team might finish like where were they gonna like make any money off of that i think it would then to like sort of help feed into like bookies and predictions and stuff um yeah. so that you then be able to say this is what we think the prediction is going to be but we never quite got to the stage of actually making it useful 
Yeah, no, I always find it fascinating, like, because obviously with the job that I do, kind of speaking to data scientists and then being a football fan, like, looking at all the, like, betting markets and how they decide odds and, like, all the different variables, like, it must be, I mean, that must be a huge job for all those companies to, like, because, I mean, it's a little bit different to, like, predicting it and then getting it wildly wrong so you lose, like, hundreds of thousands, potentially millions on a game. Like, it must be, it's quite, like, it's quite interesting stuff. It is interesting, but I don't think I was really interested in it. I'm not not a football fan per se, and I think that's why I ended up only lasting, I guess, three or four months full time in that position. Because I think when I first went into it, we thought there'd be more chance of actually using more like Fitbit data and looking at actual activities around pitches and stuff. But when it became more of like the betting and the results, I just sort of like this isn't quite what I was hoping for. This. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So yeah, that pretty much takes us to was it like was it twenty seventeen that you it, joined it, Peak? Yeah, it was. It was like April twenty seventeen. Yeah, I managed to get it the wrong way around on my notes, but yeah, April twenty seventeen, you joined Peak. So we had started talking before that. Do you remember how did we meet at an event or something? I think I'd applied for a job that you or Cathcart were possibly advertising. Hmm. or you just I think or either that you just reached out to me as a recruiter I remember at the time because at the time I was sort of I was working from home I wasn't enjoying my job I kind of got to the stage that I was just answering any recruiter phone calls because I wasn't speaking to anyone during the day and I was like I just need someone to speak to (laughs) that sounds really sad that just sounds like I was just one of many. But you were the lucky no. one that actually got through to me. So. <laughs> so no, we started chatting around, it must have been like, I don't know, a month or two before that, kind of early 2017. Yeah. There was a few opportunities, actually. So you ended up kind of meeting a couple of our clients. Uh, but then you joined Peak, which honestly, I can't even remember back then, but it was a pretty small team, right? Like it wasn't, there wasn't loads of people. Peak was tiny. I think I was about 17th or 18th person that joined. I remember... That's in the whole company as well. So, yeah, a whole company. I remember you phoning me up and, like, this company people want to speak to you. They want to speak to you this afternoon. And then a couple of days later, I had an interview with them, just going to this office in Ancoats, having absolutely no idea who they were, what they did. Because normally in interviews, one of the questions is, like, why do you want to come work for us? And at the point, I was like, I have no idea who you are. (laughs) I'm just here because I kind of want to get, like, an idea of what companies are out there in Manchester and what the opportunities are. Um, but I just had a really good vibe from Peak um, from that very first day. And uh, Rich Potter, like, he sort of tried to convince me because I was at the time looking at other more, sort of, I guess, well-known places in Manchester to go work. Um, but he managed to convince me that come join this startup that you've never heard of. It'll be fun. That's, that's exactly what it used to be like. I remember there was you and oh, someone else in the team where... I was helping them with a couple of things and I basically told Peak that there was a couple of things on the table, like it's kind of up to Kayleigh and whoever else. And like Rich would always just say like, I've still got one of his emails somewhere. He'd always just say like, you may as well join us because if you do, you'll end up like, if it doesn't work out here, you'll end up at that place anyway. So like, So join us, and if it works out, then amazing. If it doesn't work out, then you'll, you'll, exactly you'll, what he said. Yeah, you'll still get that job anyway. Because he was like, I had to do this once, and I took the big company before the startup, and he was like, I always regretted it type thing. So, um, no, that was I mean, those were the the times where, yeah, most of my job was kind of getting people to go and speak to them because I was like, listen, like they're doing something pretty cool. They've just got this new office, which at the time seemed massive in Ancoats, and uh, it was like go go speak to them and see how you get on but the way they were hiring and, and this is going to be on the um, highlight show with rich a little bit but like at the time and what they've done quite well i think is they took on people like you who didn't have like loads of industry experience and then like stuart and dom who again came straight from kind of like um, academia mm-hmm. and then in, in the three or four years that like those people have worked there they've kind of amassed this like huge amount of experience just because of the way that that company's gone so like it's kind of like it's when people say they need 10 years experience as a data scientist and all this like in their job specs like i just don't understand that like what you should be looking for is like what have you done in those three years for example like it's a totally different ball game when you work for a company growing that fast right yeah definitely that's one of the good things with peak was just the breadth of experience you got because they were bringing on customers very quickly and at the start it was every customer was new so there wasn't anything really 
it was similar between customers so everything was a new project that you had to sort of learn new techniques and understand new data it's different now that they've seen a lot more similarities in the type of customers they approach so that they can start generalizing some of the stuff but at the very start it was you could be working on anything one day you might be in forecasting another day you might be helping out in a growth project it was just yeah it was really great and a really good experience as someone like me who didn't have a huge amount of experience before that in industry just to again open up my eyes to what was possible you probably and i think we spoke about this with um katie gibbs who had worked at one of the big consultancies she's not technical but we said like when you work at one of those big four like you mentioned earlier what you would experience in three years at big four in comparison to a peak or a startup like it's just not even comparable like you'd still be like you'd probably have moved up like one level or maybe got like recognition for like one project or something like that at one of these big companies where a lot of it is about like time served whereas like at peak like you said like no two days at the start were the same so you kind of pick things up and i suppose you kind of problem solve a lot quicker right because you've probably just got loads of stuff thrown at you and like hopefully it worked out I guess I can't really make a comparison because I've never worked at one of the big four but you said earlier like startups are sort of a theme that I've got going on and I think that's something that just attracts me I just know that like going to start off it's going to be a bit chaotic I guess it's like um, things are going to move quickly but the good thing is there's no processes in place really so you're not having to go through long sort of processes to try and get anything done it is you have a lot of like, autonomy in what you do and you have a lot of say to change things and make the processes and yeah. And you probably as well, and this is something that we've never actually had anyone who's worked at Peak as a data scientist on the show, but this is something I sometimes um, talk to potential like candidates about like back when I was recruiting with you, but also since then, that it's a kind of a unique organisation a little bit in that you get to work quite closely with quite a lot of talented data scientists, whereas a lot of companies, a little bit like in your PhD example, a lot of companies you can end up being kind of the only technical person sometimes, never mind the only data scientist. Like you're genuinely working, like you're the person who works with the CEO and they don't have any devs, they don't have any anything. So like it can be kind of like a weird place to work, whereas obviously at peak, at the start, it was a lot of data scientists that then grew out to be some software engineers as well. So you get that kind of like, I don't know, you get to learn from people at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I think I joined as the fifth data scientist. I think when I left, they had 30 data scientists and growing. So huge, huge team of data scientists. Yeah, and you don't, I mean, you don't really see teams like that big. So it's kind of one of those where it's like it's a totally different challenge. Um, and then last thing on them, I suppose. So we'll go into the differences in a second. But you did a lot of work with, obviously, their customers, given that they're kind of helping different customers with data problems. I wouldn't, I won't dare say the C words in case um, Rich is listening. They help some of their customers. And uh, I'm sure you did a talk at ManCML, right, that you were helping a like tool hire company and you and a couple of the team went on site to actually try and help work out their problem, right? So it wasn't just one of those like, here's our problem, can you fix it? Like you and the team were kind of pretty instrumental in like helping find the problem. Yeah, definitely. And like, that was a good thing about working with the different customers was you did get to go on site and you did get to see how the data has been generated and where the problems are coming from. So the tool hire company, we used to actually go to the depots it's not even like the like HQ. We used to go and see what were people actually doing on the ground. Um, I think one of the cool things I got to do with Peak was when I was team lead, I was part of the like forecasting and warehouse sort of team. And that meant I got to go to a lot of warehouses. Um, and that's just really cool because it sort of actually helps you visualize and understand the data better. So you're not just seeing like spreadsheets of data and rows of a warehouse actually been able to go stand in the warehouse and see how someone's picking up something and taking it to the next part of the warehouse actually just helps like bring everything together yeah and does it help you kind of visualize like what their issue actually is as like people on the ground it's quite often like i feel like data can be like separated from like actual people so like the data is just all in a big like somewhere and then you just make something of it but you, you don't really see like much of an impact on like the i suppose on the business but also on the like right down the business like into the on the like on the warehouse for example like you actually get to see that impact yeah definitely and also we, like we got to like even sort of tell the businesses how the data was being sort of processed because when it is on the ground there's a lot of assumptions being made so people might tell you that oh, this is how i do something 
so then that's where you get your assumptions from the data but until you actually see them do it you can't actually be sure that that's what they're doing so they might be like oh that's just how it's done but when you watch them you know that that's not quite how it's done so it's really interesting just to like get that sort of fine detail no that's pretty cool Um, and last thing on peak just because um i don't think i've ever said this to you before but um do you know when you do something like really awkward and like if someone waves at you in a shot but they're not actually waving at you and then you think about it for the rest of your life until you got the job at peak i think i was saying your name wrong and you never ever corrected me and it's still like it still haunts my dreams what were you saying <laughs> what were you calling I, me i think it was i think i used to say kayla and then <laughs> and then once you phoned in saying it's kaylee about the peak offer and one of my colleagues was like oh it's kaylee and i was like are you sure and uh and from and it was just like oh it was just like I'm just so used to people like saying my name or spelling my name incorrectly that I just I don't even notice it anymore. Oh uh, well, like as soon as like this was honestly like what now three or so years ago and like uh, still haunts me a little bit. <laughs> um, so we go on to a bit more of a recent development. So in April, I saw about six months ago, um, you moved to residentially. So. I said at the start, they're kind of a startup in Manchester who are basically trying to kind of rip up the rule book when it comes to renting houses and flats, basically. Um, So I suppose before we go into kind of what you're doing there and why you moved, um, tell us a little bit about them, kind of like their stories, just so if people don't know who they are. Well, just as you said, not just in Manchester. So the tech team and product team are in Manchester, but we also have a team down in London and a small team over in New York. So residently, we're trying to make renting amazing. Like renting at the moment is just a bit crap. It's something that people spend a lot of money on. Like probably like the biggest thing you spend money on is housing or somewhere to live. And especially in London, where most of our properties are at the moment, a lot of people rent because they just can't afford to buy a place. Or London might just be a temporary stop for them. They might be planning to work there for a few years and then save up their money and move elsewhere to somewhere that they can actually afford to buy. So what we're trying to do at Residently is make renting as rewarding and as, I guess, homely as what it would be to buy a house. So there's lots of different things in the process that we're trying to help with. The main thing is we've got an app so is that everything can get done through the app and we're trying to make it a really effortless experience. Um, right from the start, so when you're starting to look at properties, when you have decided that once you've seen a property in our site that you've decided that you want to rent, you can do all the paperwork through the app, which just makes it really quick and really easy. There's no having to go to an office to hand in forms or to send it through the post and wait a huge time for any sort of delays and postage everything's online on the app then once all that's been submitted and signed off you can then choose your um, move-in date on the app and the thing that I think is really cool and something that I wish I would have had when I was renting is all the services that you can sort of do on the app now so before when you're renting a flat you normally have the option furnished or unfurnished and that's it and if you click on furnished or you want it furnished you get what the landlord wants you to have. We are now starting to offer packages where you can say what what's your style, and we'll there's three or four different packages that you can pick from, and then you'll have that flat furnished more to your taste. So as it it becomes, it feels more like you where you're going to be staying. Um, we've also got something that we're just putting in now, which I think is really cool, is the option to decorate. So we've got a few like different paint colours that have already been agreed with the landlords so that you can say if the resident wants it painted we can paint it this colour so that you're not having to put up with the white or the manolia which you normally get when you're renting flats but also on the app you can sort out your things like you're cleaning you're moving a lot of buildings now especially new buildings have things like um, gyms or cinema rooms or meeting rooms so you can now book things like that through the app um, so yeah, just basically trying to make renting a much more pleasant experience than what it currently has been. Nice, and it's I mean it kind of like it follows the trend of like you know like Monzo with banking, like you don't have to 
deal with like loads of stuff like if, from a consumer point of view everything is just easier like i'm sure it's still as equally complex in the background of all these things but like that yeah. that shouldn't that shouldn't be the renter's problem that should be like the yeah, landlord exactly. or, and then, or whatever yeah another thing we do as well is like you can now submit support tickets on your app so like we're all like no it's like millennials don't like to phone up and like they don't like to speak to anyone on the phone so instead of having to like wait until an office is open to report that your boiler's broken or you can't get your lights to work, you can now just log your support tickets on the app and then you can have a conversation with someone and get them out to come and fix it. Yeah. And when you say it, like, and you explain it, and I think I said this to um, Sam, your CTO the other day, like when you explain the idea of it, you're kind of just like, oh yeah, like, that makes sense. But yeah. it's like, and it's, it's sort of like, why is this not already? It's just such a done. big, just a big task, isn't it? Like housing, like housing is just such a big task. Yeah. But uh, no, I said to Sam when I spoke to him last week that if we could do something similar for buying a house, like I would happily pay money for it. So we're looking at moving just now and oh my goodness. But anyway, so why did you move to them as a data scientist? And I suppose as well to tie it in, where does kind of data come in for them? Like what what's useful about having a data scientist? So I guess I think I said back earlier on that I sort of think things happen for a reason and this back in January I was I was away skiing when I got a message on LinkedIn again from a recruiter that normally I ignore these but just now and again something just I guess clicks or catches my attention and it was a message saying we're looking for a data scientist residently this is what we're doing we think you'd be a good fit for the role sort of thing and I started to think about it and I'd been at peak for nearly three years at a time and I was sort of getting to the stage where I was considering that maybe it was time for a change so yeah I decided to go to residently I think one of the main drivers for me was wanting to go try doing data science in-house so even though Peak was good at I guess giving us that breadth of different customers that we could work on and the experiences of going to warehouses and going to different places it just felt like a bit of a different relationship. I know we weren't going to say the word consultancy earlier, but you have that ah. sort of, <laughs> we sort of have that relationship with customers where they just want something to work quickly. They're paying a lot of money for what we're providing. Peak, they need it to work and they need it to work basically there and then. And you sort of, you might work with one stakeholder in a business, but you just have a slightly different relationship to as to if you're in a, company and you're part of the team actually all working together on something so that's what sort of appealed to me a bit residently and because there's still quite a relatively small startup I was going to be um, the only data scientist I thought this is quite a good opportunity to go see if I can take what I've sort of learned in my three years at peak can I now go and be that sole data scientist and actually do data science in-house for a company. Yeah no it makes sense. And I think Next part of your question was, and where does their fit in at Residently? So I guess a lot of companies are now realising that to get far, you need to be using data. You need to be understanding your, your customers, your target markets. You need to be really using data to get far in the world. Um, so I've been working on a few different things. So I started the main project that I work on at the moment is trying to understand the rental market in London. So that's where most of our properties are. And I've been trying to, I guess, sort of predict what price um, we should be marketing our properties at so that we can make sure that we are in line with the rest of the market. So that's been really interesting because a lot of what I've done up to date has been in time series analysis. So that was my PhD was in time series analysis. Working at peak a lot of the projects was in time series analysis. So I'd started to think about this problem in a time series um, sort of way where I was thinking looking at market trends over time over the past couple of weeks I've started to think about it more spatially so I've actually been able to plot London and look at the trends over the area as opposed to over time so that's been really really good for me and really really interesting just because it's sort of a new area of statistics that I haven't done a lot of work in before so I'm learning a lot there and also people get excited by maps. So you can show them some maps and they're like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. Um, and it's a lot more interesting to look at than just a line plot. So that's the main thing. But then as well as that, I'm just helping the business sort of set up ready to have the data in a way that we can use it in future. So 
I was talking about the app earlier. When I joined Residently, I think that was when the app was just really getting rolled out and more and more people were using it. So we didn't have a huge amount of data on the app. So I didn't get started in that project straight away. But now that we're sort of six, seven months in, more and more people are coming onto the app and using it. So now we need to start to get an understanding of what are people doing in the app? Are we recording enough information that we can start building meaningful insights with the plan for the future to actually make it more of a personalized journey? So that when our users come onto the app, we can show them what they want to see and help, I guess, just do more like personalized things on the app and just make it a better experience for them but using data. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I imagine, and I might be wrong, but I imagine a lot of your users are kind of in that younger age bracket, roughly speaking. So having everything on an app that's kind of got a bit of personalization and that's how they're going to use it. Obviously, you'll get loads of data from that, but also like it's going to be how you keep people as well. Like you're going to keep people by getting it right on the app so they can just that's never really have to, yeah, don't have to leave. Yeah, because yeah, when you think about like the apps that people are using, like you want a personalized experience, you want you want things quickly. You want to be able to go on and it to show that cleaning's what you're come or you're after, like looking for. And if that's what you've gone to the app and it's what's showing you, you're more likely to like click on that button to then go and order your cleaning. Yeah. No, exactly. Um and then I suppose um what was the experience like moving during lockdown? So we spoke about this kind of briefly, but you said uh, it was a bit weird. So like you spent three years at peak and then you like mailed your laptop back, got a new laptop mailed in, and then you just signed on and jumped on a screen with a bunch that of new people. That was the most surreal day was the Friday, just finishing at peak and being like, right, close that laptop. And then the Monday, open a new laptop and be like, right, new job, new laptop. Um, it was strange. And I think, like, I'd done remote work before peak. So when I worked at Sport and Data Science, I was doing remote work, and I absolutely hated it. So I was a bit like, <laughs> not sure how this is going to go. But I think everyone's in the same boat now. So everyone's working from home. Um, and I think because I had the experience of peak, I sort of knew how to approach a data science problem. I think had I gone into residently without peak's experience, I'd have been really lost. And I'd been like, I'm now remote. This this is quite difficult. But because I'd done quite a lot of projects at peak and I knew what to do, I could just sort of start and hit the so ground running from yeah. day one. So um, Sam had basically said to me, approach this as if you're just approaching one of your customers at peak and that's just what I did I did a lot of like exploratory analysis just trying to work out where does data science fit into the company why have they hired me at the time where there's now a pandemic on like why have they made this decision and um I actually thought I was going to have to go into residently and do a lot more internal sales so I thought I was going to have to go in and be like really pitch data science to them be like this is why I'm here this is why you need data science but actually, in the first few days, I realized that there was a need for data. Um, I need to understand the data. Lots of people had lots of questions. So it was actually quite easy to fit in and just, yeah, it feels strange now that it's already been like seven months and I've not actually gone into the office to see anyone. But it's been, it's been really good. No, that's good. And I know I've, uh, I keep up with your work from home musings on Twitter. And I know you've like tried to change offices a couple of times. Like when I say offices, just rooms in your house. Yeah, I try and mix up a few things, go downstairs for some of the day or upstairs. And but I've just kind of got used to it now. I kind of like, it's quite nice. I quite enjoy not having to sit in a northern train every day. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, it's definitely not been like, it's definitely not being rosy in terms of like the whole like world outlook, but see, like for me, not having to get a forty-minute bus into town and a forty-minute mm. bus or like an hour bus on the way back, and like I can get up a little bit earlier, I would like go for a walk around like our area, which has got some nice like hills and stuff. Like it just feels a bit more like normal, other than the fact I'm sitting in the same room all day. Yeah, exactly. I think like we've just got into a good routine, and it's quite good. My partner, um, he works in statistics as well, so. I've always got someone like we don't always talk about statistics, not that but it's quite nice that there's someone just around that if we do need to like talk about maths and stats with each other, we can have a bit of a geek off and just get things sorted like that way. Who's uh who who's better? Oh probably Rob. <laughs> I was definitely hoping you were gonna say definitely me. Um so the question that I've asked kind of most people, and I think it's still definitely relevant for you as well so i often ask about kind of like building good data teams and kind of top tips and stuff for you actually it's probably a bit different for 
some of the other people on the show because you were heavily involved at recruiting in Peak, but also you've now been recruited by three separate companies, all kind of in slightly different ways. So like you've been on both sides of the fence probably a lot more recently than a lot of the guests. So do you have any kind of like, is there anything you've learned from all those kind of processes as being a candidate, I suppose, but also like trying to hire people? Like what, is there anything that kind of keeps coming up time and time again or things that you would implement now if you were hiring at Residently? I think as a candidate, because I've always worked in startups and because I've always been one of the first few data scientists, my experience is probably a bit different to most candidates. I feel like I just go through pro- like interview processes really, really quickly. And there's never there never seems to be a standard in place. There's never like a set structure of how people are doing things. You just sort of like both at, both at peak and residently, it was just going have a, it felt more of a conversation. I sort of talked about like projects I've been working on and then got the job and started it a few weeks later. Whereas when I was at peak and we were starting to build up a team, we'd started, we were getting to the size that we'd started to put in processes. We started to have more of a template and more of an idea of what it was we were looking for and more questions and sort of like, yeah, templates and stuff to follow. And then I suppose it's kind of related so actually there's two parts to this. So you've, it's pretty much since like peak and maybe a bit before, you've been really active in kind of Manchester data scene. So like a good few years now. Um, so there's like Our Lady, Surplus Data, Peak did their own stuff. You've spoken, I think, at least twice at Mancamel. Mm. So was that kind of a conscious decision to, to put yourself out there a little bit and kind of, I don't know, like have a bit of a voice in Manchester data or was it kind of just something natural that you just enjoyed doing so have picked up a lot? I think part of it, I started to go to meetups in Manchester just out of sheer boredom when I was like working sport and data science. I was the only person sort of in the company. I wasn't getting to speak to many people. And I was like, I just moved to Manchester, didn't know anyone. I was like, I just need to go see humans because I'm stuck in my flat all day. I need to go actually have conversations. But in terms of sort of putting myself out there a bit more and organise or help to organise our ladies and going to more meetups and speaking at meetups it's just something I've always done like I'm always the sort of person that will get involved and will say yes to a lot of things and will happily go and chat chat and I think it's it's nice I think I've definitely found a lot of benefit in being part of the community I think it's really useful just to know other data scientists in Manchester it was really useful for recruiting at peak that I was then able to like bring a lot of people into Peak that I'd either met at um, events or they'd seen me speak at events and come spoke to me afterwards and was then interested in Peaks. So I think it was definitely useful to get myself out there. And actually, I think it's one thing I'm definitely missing being in lockdown is being able to go to events. Like I've tried to keep up with Hearth Plus Data occasionally um, when they've got events online, but it just was a bit different. Like I used to go to events because that was my chance to interact with actual humans and see people and it's just not quite the same when it's on Zoom and you spend all day on Zoom. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, a lot of people keep asking about um, doing like a Mancamel online. And initially I said no because I kind of was hoping by around about now things might feel a bit more normal and we could maybe do like a diluted version. But as we've mm-hmm. got further and further into the pandemic, I, 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 just, I just don't have any appetite for it. Like setting up like a giant 100 person zoom call with a few speakers like the reason I like doing it and like I travel from Edinburgh to Manchester to do it is to kind of meet the people that I know and meet new people and um we kind of go to the pub after it and I get to hang out with Eric who lives in London and I live in Edinburgh so like there's just loads of like communication to it rather than just the actual event so like it would be weird just to sign on at like six on a Thursday and then stay on till nine and then go like go off a call like it would just be weird it's a bit especially when like there's so many people in like a Zoom chat and I was, I'm not one to make a conversation when there's like hundreds of people on. I'm much better at like smaller interaction. So that's why yeah. I'm better at actually meeting up at meetups and just chatting to the person that's sitting next to me as opposed to being that person that's chatting to a huge room of people. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. I mean, even though I try and help organise the Mancuba one, I much prefer like when you bump into a small group of like two or three people, not the whole room like that's quite weird um so no that makes sense and it's a good point about getting involved some people always ask like how do you get involved and in, or how can you kind of further your career a little bit in data science and i think one of the big things i've learned is like go to these meetups if you can um and like network as much as possible because i mean you probably 
you've done me out a thousands by just recommending people to peak um, after meeting them at events. And, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> and also you, you've used your connections really well at, um, at Lancaster as well. So it's like, it's just kind of, I don't know, using your network in whatever career you're doing, like if it's software, data science, whatever, like using that kind of wider network to your advantage is always something I'll try and like preach. Um, I think that's, yeah, one of the like more terrifying things I've done. So I think it was the last man came out that I spoke at. Um, I think it was the one at M Brown where I gave, I was talking about forecasting and the one number forecast. And at the end of it, I was approached by this guy, Simon Spiround, who was like, oh, I used to live with, the person that wrote that paper that you've just spoke about and I was like I've probably done such a terrible job at like <laughs> talking about this paper but that worked in really well because Simon is a fantastic forecaster and we ended up bringing him into Peak um so that was like really good that he then seen me talk and then expressed interest in Peak so yeah, yeah. it's definitely good for those sort of things. That thing's amazing we've had a couple of conversations with relatively big like client or potential clients in edinburgh manchester and they'll say like well why should we host your event like why should we give you like one of our data scientists to tell all your secrets and it's like it's the whole point of it is like exposure like you want people to even if you're not talking about what you're doing you want to like have some of your team talking like passionately about something they they enjoy because that's what people are going to like kind of remember and like they'll they'll take that in and make connection with you on linkedin they might keep in touch with you at different events like it's not just about like that single 20 minute presentation like it can often be a lot more than that um yeah definitely i know like as well like if anyone ever like asked me for career advice so we used to get like sort of junior data scientists emails saying like what can i do to like help me get a data science job and one of the or like the only thing that i'd always recommend to them would be go to meetups find out what's happening in manchester find out about the companies that are speaking because i think Data science is such a big area and such a big subject that different companies' definition of data science is going to be different. And there's always going to be different interests and different things you might be interested in. So for me, like I realized that sport and data science wasn't for me, but then that's where I found peak. Whereas I think actually put yourself out there and go see what different companies are talking about, then just helps you decide where are you going to fit in as a data scientist. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And it's actually the only time. So that I've seen loads of examples of like people coming up to like you or like someone from Peak or someone from some of the startups that we've had at Mancamel and like they're maybe a bit more junior and they'll say like, how do we get into that company? I'd be really interested. But when we had um, Dominic Jordan on, he actually said that one of the main reasons he kind of entertained the initial recruitment message from the M Brown team was because he'd seen one of the data science teams speaking. And like, mm-hmm. I always thought it was quite interesting, like someone who's a head of, director of, like level was like impressed by somebody who saw a meetup and it was so much so that he considered leaving where he was working like I thought that was really interesting that it can work right up to that level yeah exactly because it just gives you a good idea of what the company's like without even having to go like interview the company you just know straight away like is this the sort of culture that I want to fit into is it sort of company and you get that impression just with someone giving a talk yeah you get it quite quickly as well if someone's like if someone can deliver a presentation well and you can get a bit of their personality and like they're talking about projects, like it's a lot, you get so much more from 20 minutes of that than like a kind of dry, like half an hour, 45 minute interview where it's just kind of like questions. Like you don't get as much from it. Like you kind of learn so much more. Yeah, exactly. It also doesn't waste anyone's time because you're doing it at a time where you've chosen to go to a meetup. Someone's chosen to go speak at a meetup. You're not like, taking up someone's time in an interview where actually you're not the, the right fit or the company's not the right fit for you you've already like decided that before even gone yeah no I think I mean obviously I'm going to say there's loads of benefits to me but like I've been to loads that I've got nothing to do with and like I find them equally like as useful um just for like learning stuff as well which is one of the main reasons people come is to kind of learn something new and if if something else happens on the back of it then amazing but um no that's, that's, that's what I really like about um our ladies is that was more so like I think Manka Mal was sort of you get presentations from different companies and it's like this is what we're doing data science whereas at our ladies it was more helping like teaching in R and like sharing ideas and actually being able to say if anyone's got a problem come and we can help out and I really like enjoyed being involved in that and or like I hated organizing just because I'm not like, a party planner like I didn't like actually trying to find the venues and sorting out the food and stuff. But what I really liked doing was going along and presenting and helping people that were new to R 
and were wanting to learn more. And because I've been using R for about eight years, it was nice to actually be the mentor and help people out there. Yeah, no, that is that's a good point. Um, yeah, I don't like the organisational point either but uh eric's got a real job when he's busy and has like twins as well at home so like it kind of just it just falls to me um no that's a uh, it's really useful um what is is the plan for residently to have kind of like a small team of data scientists as the product keeps growing you get more properties you get more use cases for data just have a little team where you get to i suppose really just have like a, a an impact on everything to do with data yeah so I think initially the idea won't be to have lots of data scientists just while we try and build up the product. There's a lot of a bigger focus on software engineers. I know we need, I don't know if we're still hiring, but we were hiring quite aggressively for software engineers because essentially we need we need a platform, we need something that people can use. We need to start bringing more people onto the app. But we do have quite a few analysts in the business. And I know that there's plans to have a few more analysts, which will start to pick up some of the the data roles as well um, and then yeah hopefully in the future we will be able to have a bigger data team when we're having to start doing a lot more projects and actually having some of these projects productionized and going to be using it a lot more nice um well when we post everything we'll make sure we tag kind of residentally in it but also you and put it on twitter as well and if there's well we'll keep in touch and see how it all goes and we'll try and get you back on and a while and see what the team looks like and what the product looks like but um no i generally like it when i spoke to sam like it just all seems to make sense that this would already be in place but it's not which is good for you Um, but thank you for coming on i feel like this was ages in the making it's good that we actually got to get it done Um, (laughs) thank you very much for having me although i am an avid listener i might not listen to this one